We're trying to conduct a serious scientific investigation. Science, logic, reason. Do you have any hard data? Now, that's what I call science. You're listening to That's What I Call Science, the weekly radio show and podcast bringing you science, technology, engineering and maths content from Tasmania. We like to think we're bringing you big science from the small island. The show is supported by Edge Radio, Hobart's premium youth station. Head to edgeradio.org.au for more information on all of the good things they're doing. My name's Neve Chapman and I'm joined by my co-host Hannah McCleary. So Hannah, can you start this episode by our acknowledgement of country and then also telling us a little bit more about what we're going to be covering today? I would like to begin by acknowledging and paying my respects to the Palawa people, the traditional owners of the land on which we are gathered today, Lutruwita. I pay my respects to Elders, past, present and emerging, and stand for a future that profoundly respects and acknowledges Aboriginal perspectives, culture, language and history. So today Neve and I are joined by Taylor Griffin um, and Taylor is a Boeing engineer and corporate responsibility ambassador and she was also awarded the 2018 CSIRO Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Tertiary Student STEM Achievement Award and the Women in Defence Rising Star Award. Taylor is a Gangaloo woman who was the first Aboriginal person to graduate with honours in electrical and aerospace engineering in Australia, studying at the Queensland University of Technology. Taylor is a champion role model for Indigenous women in STEM, a group that is severely underrepresented, especially in engineering. Now, Taylor, that is an extremely impressive resume. Um, Do you want to start us off by sort of introducing yourself and sort of letting us know, was there anything in particular when you were growing up that actually sparked your interest in engineering and sort of, you know, what sort of made you want to become an aerospace engineer? Um, Yeah, absolutely. Um, Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, so, yeah, I'm Taylor. I'm um, proudly First Nations Australian. Um, my mob is the Gungaloo mob um, near Rockhampton in um, sort of mid-Queensland. But I actually grew up in Gordon Vale, which is a small town south of Cairns in um, far north Queensland. And um, growing up, I, you know, I always had an interest in STEM. I don't think... I think a lot of people have um, moments in their life where, uh, you know, something happens in their life. Oh my God, I'm going to be an engineer. I just, I never had that moment. Um, but it was just always something that was, that I was interested in. Um, so especially in high school, I chose a lot of STEM subjects. So I did subjects like physics and math B um, and chemistry and biology. And, um, you know, I just really liked you know, scientific inquiry and doing experiments and that kind of thing. So, um, so yeah, I, I just did those subjects out of interest. And, um, you know, I've always had, an, I've always had uh, outside of school an interest in aerospace and flight technology. I wasn't like, I've never been uh, like an aviation nerd or anything, but it always just kind of interests me. And I loved reading about, you know, just stupid stuff like the moon landings. And um, yeah, I always thought that was really cool. Um, so when I, you know, when I um, was applied at uni um, and I saw, you know, that um, QT offered aerospace engineering, it just sort of seemed like a natural fit for me. 
Yeah, that's amazing. Um, look, I know I studied, you know, STEM and maths and that sort of thing when I was in year 11 and 12, and I knew that that was something that I wanted pro- to progress with. Um, but engineering always sort of seemed like a bit of a daunting area of study for me. And I know that that's, um, you know, probably a thought that's held by a lot of um, women and Indigenous people, um, because there is often a low uptake of this kind of degree by women and not to mention Indigenous women. Have you faced any challenges while working and studying in this sort of area and how have you addressed these challenges? Um, yeah, absolutely. I fully agree. Engineering is completely daunting um, and, you know, even now after graduating, I still can't believe that I actually did it. It's, um, you know, I found it really technically, uh, it's obviously really technically heavy uh, and you need to put a lot of effort in, but um, very well worth it at the end of it. I think that one of my biggest challenges personally was actually just the academic side and, you know, um, understanding concepts and doing exams, that kind of thing. Um, I wasn't just someone that got the curriculum straight away. I had to really work hard at it. Um, but, you know, I knew I wanted to, I wanted to see, see the degree out and actually, you know, graduate at the end of it. So, you know, to combat that, I got a personal tutor that helped me. And learning in that one-on-one environment just really helped me to, um, you know, understand what the lecturers were teaching and I was felt more confident in what I was learning. Um, I think that, aside from academics, which is an obvious challenge, um, just being, yeah, a female and being an Indigenous Australian is in engineering is a challenge in itself because there's obviously not a lot of others. It feels like you're one of, only a very, only very few. I don't meet many other um, female Indigenous engineers, which can be really hard because, you know, there's times in the industry that I've had um, during my professional career where, uh, you know, I just wanted someone to relate to, and it, I, you know, it's often that I don't get that. Um, I have some really good um, mentors and role models and stuff, but it's it's really hard to find people, you know, that have had the same experiences as you. Um, so that's a bit challenging in itself, but I just think um, it's so, yeah, it's it's definitely worth it in the end. Working with a lot of males especially is, obviously I'd love to work with more females, but it's not something that phases me every day. I still turn up to work. I still love my job, um, you know, so that doesn't phase me. You've just got to take, um, you know, take every opportunity that you can. I think that's a really um, inspirational take on it, Taylor. And I also really like that you sought additional help to kind of get through those challenges when starting out with your degree and you went for that one-on-one tutoring. Cause I think a lot of us, um, regardless of our background, but particularly probably if you're from a minority, you might feel intimidated. Um, or a lot of us have imposter syndrome in sciences and it's just like, Oh, well, if I don't get this, I'm just not smart enough. Whereas I really respect that you went and you got extra help, um, that supported you to achieve what you wanted to achieve. Something that really, um, I'd love to hear more about when you talk about, women being underrepresented and you not having necessarily role models or even peers to go to to kind of you know have that have that solidarity with um but I know in Hannah's introduction you know you're a champion role model for Indigenous women in STEM how does that feel what do you hope to achieve by championing women and particularly Indigenous women in STEM um and you know how does that feel on your shoulders yeah, obviously, um, you know, I do lots of work in that space because I'm wanting to see, you know, more Indigenous Australians take up STEM. 
and I've I've spoken about this before, but you know, it's really obvious that the future STEM, uh, the future job market is going to be led by STEM, uh, in STEM careers, and you know, we need to get. I I strongly believe that we need to get more Australians, uh, you know, studying STEM at university, getting into STEM roles now, so that you know we're not left behind in the future. Um, Indigenous Australians have a lot to offer, and so yeah, why not take up STEM? For that, you know, are you pumped, like, to, like taking it on, really geared up, or sometimes is it really daunting? Um, yeah, absolutely. I'm always, I always feel pumped about it because I'm obviously extremely passionate about it. But it does, it's obviously, uh, you know, it takes a massive toll on me because a lot of this stuff I have to do outside of my everyday job. So you know, it's extracurriculars, um, and you know, I I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't really want to see, um, you know, meaningful change um, for my people and, you know, for the future STEM field. Um, it's, I suppose it can be hard because you, you sort of become, when you're, you know, you know, when you're the first to do something and you're a role, well, you know, you're a role model and, um, you know, you're an advocate for your people, I think, it's easy for other people to try and, um, you know, you become sort of like a tokenistic figure. And sometimes it's really hard to balance out people who are, you know, on your page and want to make meaningful change versus people that are just, you know, wanting your opinion um, because it's just a phase. So that, that part um, of my work I find really hard to navigate. I don't, it's hard to tell when people are taking advantage of you and when, you know, when's a good time to say no and when, when it's, um, when it's not, because obviously I want to take, uh, I want to use every opportunity, you know, use my voice for every opportunity, but I also don't want to just be taken advantage of because, you know, I, I don't ever want to be seen as a poster girl. I want to be seen as someone who's, you know, down in the grassroots making change in that sort of way. Yeah, I really respect that. And I also would hope that systemic change is coming to support rather than individual actions, that organisations are making substantial actions to support individual advocates like yourself, either through workload, because that sounds like a huge amount of unpaid labour um, to take <laughs> on. But and then also as a minority, um, like as an Indigenous person in science, you would be experiencing so much... Um, we've talked about on the show before, just people not really knowing your experience or not being able to identify with each other, but then also all of the extra things to constantly represent your community. And then when you have that in a space where, you know, you're really up for the challenge, I just really hope that over time we'll see people really lifting you up, recognising those labours and also systemic change happening and it's not just relying on single advocates. Yeah, absolutely. I fully agree. And, you know, it's it's important to to get in and do the work now because like you said it is going to be systemic change it's not going to be something that happens overnight you know we're not going to see uh indigenous australians uh enrollments in stem you know double overnight it's going to be you know um it's going to happen over a long period of time and that's why i'm so passionate about you know school engagement and uh creating some visibility around STEM for younger Indigenous Australians because, you know, we find that an interest in STEM, you know, is born from an early age. It's 
really hard to be, you know, 18, 19 and just suddenly develop an interest in STEM. We really need to foster that, you know, foster and encourage that interest um, at an early age. And then hopefully if we can do that and embed that in our um, young First Nations people now, we'll see the change, you know, 10, 20, 30 years time. Um, yeah, I think it would be, I think it'll be awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I also think, you know, the point that you make about it needing recognition early on in young people is so true because they have to choose the right subjects to set themselves up to be able to choose a science degree at university. But also, um, I think giving visibility to the types of pathways that STEM can take is really important. So stay with us in just a moment. We'll be talking to Taylor about what her work as an aerospace engineer actually involves. You're listening to That's What I Call Science. My name is Hannah McCleary and I'm joined by Neve Chapman. Today we're interviewing Taylor Griffin, an aerospace engineer and the first Aboriginal person to graduate with honours in electrical and aerospace engineering in Australia, which is such an amazing achievement. Um, So Taylor, what does a typical day look like for you as an aerospace engineer in Australia? Yeah, so... um I am currently a graduate, so I'm, I'm just finishing off the graduate program with, um, with Boeing Defence Australia at the moment. And I've been really lucky in that um, during my time as a graduate for the last about 18 months, my days look can be so completely different and so diverse that it's awesome. So I think um, I'll touch on my time as, uh, as a test engineer when I was um, – working on the Wedgetail platform or the Wedgetail aircraft um, that we have uh, in the um, in the RAF. So as a test engineer, you know, my day can um, my day can be on the ground doing uh, doing ground testing in the hangar with the aircraft or literally up in the air flying in the aircraft and testing things out while you know while you're in the sky kind of thing. Um, you can be doing uh, writing up uh, technical documents and reports to support that testing um, or, you know, talking with the US and, you know, sort of negotiating um, engineers over there and getting their technical opinion as well. So my day can be, um, yeah, really diverse, which is awesome. Although I will say it is the biggest mind trip when you go flying for a day to work and you take off and land in the same place and you're up in the air for like eight hours and it's, it's almost depressing because you're like, I could be in Tokyo right now and instead I'm back where I started. <laughs> I've never thought of that before as like somebody who's um, testing planes. I'm just like, oh, uh, yeah, that would be pretty sad. Um, I yeah. wonder, Taylor, has anything like surprised you other than taking off and landing in the same place, but has anything surprised you or particularly challenged you with um, your role, particularly with taking like, what could be considered quite dry theory, particularly in engineering, taking that from your learning in your undergraduate and honours study through to actually applied and in, in such a way where you're literally doing like quality testing and improvement testing? Um, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think that, yeah, I was, I was actually surprised by how much I liked it. Um, when I was going through university, I... I really enjoyed, you know, what I learned, but I didn't think that I would be an engineer forever. Um, I thought I just wanted to lead sort of, you know, engineering projects and technical projects. But actually, 
working in the field, in the industry and doing what I do, I really love my job. And I think that it's because, you know, as a, the type of engineering that I do as a systems engineer, it's not, um, it's not overly technical. Like I'm not doing equations every day. I'm not doing maths every day. I'm, you know, at the, at the end of the systems engineering life cycle. So I'm getting to play with things that other people have designed and built. And I'm just making sure that they do, you know, that it's doing what it's supposed to do and it's meeting the requirements that it should. So I, I love that aspect. And I know that, um, you know, not everyone will like that. A lot of people like, you know, getting down to the nitty gritty and doing the design and, you know, that kind of thing. But I really like seeing the bigger picture and seeing it all integrate together and seeing the finished product. So yeah, I'm actually, I'm actually surprised by how much I love my job. Isn't that crazy? That's always a good surprise to have. Yeah. So I also wonder if, um, you say that you're at the end of the design cycle. So we've actually just had a recent wastewater engineering um, process on and that was very much on the design stage and coming up with briefs for your customers. So what kind of things does a systems engineer test at the end of the process? Because I have no idea. Like I'm assuming somebody else has designed the plane and then you were checking if it all works together exactly as it's supposed to. Can you tell me a little bit the type of th- the types of things that you might assess? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that um, just on a on a broad sort of level, so we're testing anything that is getting upgraded as part of you know as part of an um, an upgrade package. So the plane that I'm working on, you know, it's been designed and built and it's been in service now for a while. But as it gets older, you know, we need to do or we want to do upgrades on it to make sure that it's you know industry leading and and um, and it's pretty much awesome, right? So people design um, the upgrades. So, uh, you know, software upgrades. Um, I don't know. I probably couldn't go into specifics. But, um, yeah, just they upgrade the aircraft and then it comes. It goes through, you know, review. A review process goes through and that's quite long. Um, and then at the end of it, it comes to us. So we're, like, independent of the designers. And so... We just need to make sure that, like, like I said earlier, that um, you know, anything that they've upgraded is conforming to the requirements that have been set by our customer, so by the Air Force. So we're just pretty much picking off requirements as we go. So if we're flight testing, then we're making sure that those upgrades and modifications are functioning while the aircraft is flying. Um, if we're doing software testing, we'll be in a in a lab where we're making sure that the software, you know, it's, you know, all debugged, um, you know, that it's doing the right thing. And when we're doing ground testing, we've just got the aircraft on the ground in the hangar, so it's stationary, and we're doing, um, you know, testing in that way. So it's quite, um, it can be quite diverse, the kind of testing that you do. Um, But, yeah, you're pretty much just making a checklist and taking everything off so that it's ready um, to deliver back to the customer. That sounds like a list maker's dream. I'm just like, oh my God, that would be so satisfying. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It obviously takes like a long time to do, um, you know, these test programs run for a really long time, but I was lucky enough to be, uh, at the end of one, 
uh, during my time as a grad. And it was, yeah, it was really satisfying to tick everything off and be like, yeah, this, we're done, you know. Yeah, that must be a really good feeling. Stay with us in just a moment. We'll be talking more to Taylor about her journey in STEM so far. You're listening to That's What I Call Science, and today we are joined by Taylor Griffin, a Gangaloo woman and aerospace engineer. My name is Hannah McCleary, and I'm joined by Neve Chapman. Taylor, what has been the most memorable experience in your career or study so far? Um, oh, that's, that's, yeah, that's a hard question. I, I've been so lucky in that I've had um, some really great success early on in my career, um, and I had such a great time at university. I think that probably probably the happiest moment during um, during university for me was finding out that I was going to be the first um, you know indigenous female to graduate from QT with an engineering degree and 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 then first um, additionally the first um, indigenous person to graduate with my degree at all because you know, I, I didn't know that going into this. I, I found that out three days before my last exam. And I I kind of then felt the pressure to pass the last exam. I was like, oh, my God, what if I fail? I stuff this up. Um, but just knowing that I was really, um, that just made me so proud of myself and so, and you know, and so proud of the journey and how far I've come. You know, I wasn't. I went to a, you know, a, a small rural uh, high school. Like I said earlier, I wasn't the smartest person. Um, I didn't get the best OP. I, you know, I wasn't a straight seven student at university. I had to really work for that degree. And to find that out was um, just made me really proud of, you know, of, of my journey. On the same, in the same token though, it's obviously, um, was, it was a little bit disheartening to think that, you know, I graduated in 2018 and it took that long for that, you know, that, that sort of achievement to be, to be ticked off. Um, but, you know, I'm glad that I was able to do it and, um, you know, step into that, step into those shoes. Were you glad, Taylor, that you found that out, like right before the last exam, you know, chances were looking pretty good then that you're probably going to pass. Because if that, if somebody had said something like of that weight to me early on in my undergrad, I'm like, nope. Can't do it. The pressure. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes, absolutely. If someone had told me that, you know, even third year, even at the beginning of my fourth year or, you know, halfway through my thesis or something, I think I would have crumbled. Um, I'm glad that I didn't know. Um, because, yeah, like I said, the, the pressure would have just been too much for me. Um, I feel pressure quite easily. I get so stressed so easily. So, yeah, I'm glad that they just waited till the absolute last minute to tell me that. <laughs> yeah, that's it's an incredible achievement. And, I, yeah, I think everyone, you know, around you and everyone in your, um, you know, that's helped you with your journey should be so, so proud of you because, yeah, that's that's really amazing. And um, I know that it's going to inspire a lot of young Indigenous people. Oh, thank you. That's so nice. <laughs> uh, so to wrap up, Taylor, is there any advice that you would give your former self um, you know, when you were just starting out in your degree or when you'd sort of, you know, um, hit sort of a plateau or something like that, is there anything that you sort of would, would say to yourself to, you know, keep encouraging, you know, to, to keep going and that sort of thing? Yeah, 
Um, absolutely. So I think that um, the biggest piece of advice that I would give myself and to any other young, um, to any other young Australian would just be to do what you love. You know, I, when I was accepted into university, I was actually accepted into a, a law degree and I did a year of law and I don't know why I chose that um, to be, to be honest, but I did. And after a year, you know, I didn't like it. It's not something that, you know, I don't think law is something you can learn to love. And I was really tempted to go back home. You know, I had relocated from Gordon Bow to Brisbane for university uh, and was financially independent. I didn't have any of my family here. And so it was a real struggle. But, you know, my mum said, stick it out another year and, you know, do something that you're going to like. And after picking uh, aerospace engineering, you know, like I said, it was just a natural fit. And, you know, when you do something that you love, it's just so much, it's so much easier to apply yourself. Um, and, yeah, I, like I said, I love my job and I don't struggle to, you know, get up in the morning. Obviously, there's some mornings where you're like, oh, I wish I could sleep in. But it's not like I'm not dragging myself having to go to work. And I think that just makes life so much easier. I think that's excellent advice for anyone to just do what you love and follow your passions. So you've been listening to That's What I Call Science. My name's Neve Chapman, and I'd like to thank Hannah McCleary for organising today's episode and our expert guest, Taylor Griffin. It's been absolutely, absolutely inspirational to hear from you. If you enjoyed today's show, please do get in touch with us via That's What I Call Science or That's Science Taz on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or wherever you get your podcast. If you want, like and subscribe and maybe give us a review so then more people will hear our content. That would be pretty cool. Uh, For now, that's all. Thanks and goodbye. This program was made possible with support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Find out more at cbf.org.au. You've been listening to That's What I Call Science, brought to your station and across the nation via the Community Radio Network. You can find That's What I Call Science on all major podcast streaming services and social media platforms. Like and subscribe for on-demand science updates from the team. That's What I Call Science is proudly recorded in Tasmania at Edge Radio. Head to edgeradio.org.au for more information on how you can support community radio. Gemmaker are a proud sponsor of That's What I Call Science. Gemmaker provide expert advice, services and training to commercialise new knowledge and technologies. Go to gemmaker.com.au for more information.